Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In other news, California Governor Gavin Newsom's recall election is less than a week away, but Caitlyn Jenner sent out an email yesterday to her supporters telling them to vote in two weeks' time. I mean, forget recalling Gavin Newsom. Caitlyn Jenner can't even recall the election date. <laughs> but you, hear, you heard it here first. Caitlyn Jenner supporters, be sure to get out and vote September 20th. She was not even the slightest bit serious about running for governor. No, publicity stunt. Which was dumb, because if she had been serious, there's a chance she could be governor. Because Larry Elder's going to win, it looks like, if Gavin is recalled. And... um just because he's the only name most people have heard of in the whole state. Yeah, yeah, but he's also a super smart guy and, and, and has written and talked about public policy a lot. I don't recall uh, the great uh, triathlete, not triathlete, was he a decathlete uh, talking about public policy much? Maybe he did on that Kardashian I show. I didn't are, watch. I don't think people are voting on policy. They, uh, uh, they, they hate Gavin and they're going to vote for the name they've heard of on the right-hand side. By the way, I just found out predictit.com, which uh, I lost a bunch of money on thinking Kamala Harris would be the Democratic nominee. Um, the, the market has swung heavily in favor of the lunkhead Gavin Newsom keeping his job. So if you believe in the wisdom of crowds at all, the, uh, a bet on a successful recall cost 10 cents on predictit down from 26 cents earlier and a high of 34 cents in early August. I would be surprised by no result because I imagine the polling is pretty awful on this. Yes, clearly. Nobody has any idea what turnout's going to be. So, anywho, um, Donald Trump was the president for four years, and now he's going to do commentary for a big boxing match. Evander Holyfield, who's got to be, what, about 60? He's 58 years old. That was a pretty good guess, Jack. Thank you. Um, He is going to fight UFC legend Victor Belfort, who's 44. I like the 44-year-old against the 58-year-old. But anyway, during this boxing match, Donald Trump is going to do commentary. He will not be the main commentary. Jim Lampley will call the pay-per-view fight, uh, but uh, also Trump will be there. Trump saying... I think it's, it's a measure of how far boxing is sunk that it's novelty fights that get people's attention and are kind of the marquee events. Bringing back people from back when people cared about boxing. To fight, yeah, even, like the '80s. Even if they're almost sixty, you're better off having somebody that is back from the golden era, and it was the silver era by then uh, of boxing to bring back. Yeah, kind of interesting. And Trump will be in the booth, so there you go. Hey, one int- one interesting thing about this: there's going to be two feeds, one with Trump and one without. Really, yep. I hadn't oh heard that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. So they're so concerned that there's a, a crowd out there that wouldn't take it in if Trump's on there, that you can get a feed without Trump. Wow. Michael, that's an excellent bit of uh, wisdom or a factoid there, a bit of information. We appreciate it. But no Trump clips during this whole discussion? I mean, come on now. Come on. You having a good time, Joe? Boy, Joe's a real carrot stick sort of guy, isn't he, Michael? That was quite something. Throws you a little compliment and then (laughs) immediately assails your job performance. Is this? I don't know about a sale. It's constructive criticism. You're going to give people a twitch. (laughs) <laughs> Beautiful. So before we get into aging hottie actresses commentary on white men, um, it kind of fits in with this. 
And Byron York was washing, writing about this in the Washington Examiner. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Emerging Democratic Majority. I remember when it came out, I never read it, but it was a big deal in, in political circles. It came out in 2002. The writer's making the point that as the country was browning and looking at the census data and the direction things were going, the Democratic Party was going to have a permanent majority. That was just, there was going to be no way they ever lose again as more and more you got fewer white people and more brown people. The very premise is silly, but go on. Um, the Emerging Democratic Majority. So this was a very popular book back in the day. And uh, Michael Moore, the director, the rotund, wrinkled director. Food enthusiast Michael Moore. Said, uh, white people are going to be the minority by 2050, and I'm not sad to say that I can't wait for that day to happen. With whites in the minority, the idea... When a progressive paradise would ensue. Right, because it's white people that are keeping anything good from happening in the world. And uh, it's just, this whole thing is crazy. It's evil, evil white people that believe in initiative and hard work and self-reliance and all. We need to eliminate them. And uh, then there was a more census data a couple years back, and Michael Moore said, uh, he was delighted, of course, he, he called the day the census findings were released the best day ever in human history. In U.S. history, wow. I'm sorry. The best day ever in U.S. history to find out in that recent census data from a couple weeks ago that we have the lowest percentage of white people in America ever. Has there ever been in the history of a world, the world, any country where the elites were rooting for the demise of their race? Has that ever happened anywhere on the planet? This is so weird. It is. It's bizarre. It's it's weirdly suicidal. It's this strange. Uh, the, the the best way to signal my virtue is self hatred. It's it's like a cult, a weird religion. I neither believe the country is better with more white people or fewer white people. That doesn't make any sense. You see, skin color doesn't carry any particular political leanings or ideas or brilliance or wisdom or anything. It doesn't. I don't know if you believe that you're. If you believe the opposite, you are, by definition, a racist. Yeah, the they're thing. paternalistic as hell and racists. Absolutely true. Anyway, getting to the um, uh, none of this. So the most recent data that came out, along with voting results, the same guy who wrote that book that got so much noise in the early 2000s about the upcoming Democratic majority wrote this. Hispanic voting trends have not been favorable for the Democrats. According to Catalyst, which is an organization that looks at this stuff, in 2020, Latinos had an amazingly large 16-point margin shift toward Trump. 16 points from 2016 when you didn't really know who Trump might be to 2020 when you really knew who Trump was. After four years of hearing him talk and various policies and everything like that, the Latino vote went up 16 points for Trump. How has this not been discussed more? This is astounding. Among Latinos, Cubans did have the largest shift toward Trump, 26 points. But those of Mexican origin? Oh, Trump, so 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 racist, so cruel. Kids in cages, building a wall. I mean, what what could be more worse? He he hates the other. Among those of Mexican order, their order, uh, origin, there was a 12-point increase for Trump. Wow. Between 2016 and 2020. For among Puerto Ricans, it went by 18 points. Moreover, the Latino shift toward Trump was widely dispersed geographically. Hispanic shifts toward Trump were not confined to Florida, 28 points, and Texas, 18 more points. Also included states like Nevada, where he went up 16, Pennsylvania, 12, Arizona, 10, and Georgia, 8. 
This is bad, bad news for the Democratic Party that once saw a growing number of Hispanic voters as a path to permanent dominance. Uh, Byron York goes on to write, it should also make Republican strategists think long and hard about what drew those Hispanic voters to the GOP during the Trump years and keep doing it. What do you think, Joe Getty, were the things that Trump said or did that grew his share of Hispanic votes so much? Well, I'll answer the question, then I'll ask another question. Uh, I think... Believe it or not, immigration policy has a lot to do with it. Uh, Hispanic folks in border towns don't want the crime, the vagrancy, the, the the unemployment, the welfare roles that unimpeded illegal immigration bring. They don't like that. But I think more the, the more appropriate question is what drove them to the Republican Party. And I think that's fairly obvious. Number one, Hispanic people tend to be church-going, hard-working people who believe in an initiative and want to work hard. But secondly, they are not down with their kids' first-grade teacher telling their sons that they should be little girls if they want to be. They're not down with 52 genders. They're not down with uh, uh, transgender women showing their penis in a spa to little girls. They are way way right of that stuff. Sure. I think the the woke crowd drove them to the right. Religion and family is huge for people of Mexican descent. And which party yeah. is closer to that? Yeah, let me, let me no rephrase doubt. what I said. It didn't drive them to the right. It made them aware of how left the Democratic Party is. And they thought, wow, I cannot go with that. So briefly back to this whole weirdness of white elites wanting their race to go away, thinking that automatically that makes the world a better place. That's just so weird. Ellen Barkin used to be a hottie actress back in the day. It doesn't matter if you remember who she was or not. But she tweeted out, what is the expiration date for cis white males? That was her whole tweet. Glenn Greenwald, who we were quoting last hour, we've become a bit of a fanboy, I guess, for uh, Glenn Greenwald. Anyway. He retweeted that and said, It's utter madness that discourse like this is acceptable and even celebrated rather than resulting in instant shunning. I would say the fact that we've moved into this era where you can disparage an entire race or a race and a gender and and mostly get applause is just weird. It's sick. And dangerous. Very dangerous of where it's absolutely headed. Somebody pointed out um, that... uh, Ellen Barkin, the actress, has as her pinned tweet, without love, there can be no justice. Without justice, there can be no love. <laughs> okay. Nice. Except you she's want also to be- the ex-wife of a billionaire. She's rolling in dough. I mean, she's the elite of the elite. I couldn't get into her neighborhood to, to mow a lawn. Okay? And she's, that's the expiration date of cis white males. Oh, my God, you're so enlightened. Here's, oh, you're so admirable. Here's one of the responses. And, I, again, I don't care about these particular people. It's just that these attitudes are out there. Here's somebody's response to the Ellen Barkin tweet, somebody who agreed with her. Being brought up conditioned to believe they are never wrong. How many white adult males have you ever known say, I'm never, uh, 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 it feels like this is conditioning along with females conditioned to say, I'm sorry. Who do you know? white or otherwise, that was brought up to believe they were never wrong. I've never run into that attitude in my entire existence. Me neither. Where where, where does this even come from? 
Well, that's that's what happens when you allow hate. You you try to find ways to justify it. You invent myths and pathologies and and the rest of it, and convince yourself that the 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 Jew or the cis white male or the black man or whatever is just inherently evil. And you whisper about it to your to your like minded friends, and it becomes this weird corrosive conversation you have in your own head, trying to justify your own hatred. Well, as a guy who's raising a couple of uh, young boys who I believe are uh, cis, I don't know that at this point, um, uh, I'm pretty concerned by this. And and what Glenn Greenwald said is what concerns me, that you can get away with it. You you can lose your job for being, uh, you know, saying, I think the Texas abortion law is great. Some guy on NPR or the Food Network the other day lost his job for saying that. But you can you can say we'd be better off without an entire race or better off with an entire gender and nobody bats an eye. Everybody's just going, oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's perfectly reasonable. Really troubles me raising a couple yeah. of uh, soon to be young men. Well, as I've said before, I think the United States did a really good job, especially with the Civil Rights era and the Civil Rights Act in 1964 of building not systemic racism, but systemic resistance to racism. Um, and one of the main tenets of that was we, we outlawed, in terms of society, outlawed racial hatred, racial stereotypes, racial, well, racism. And now the left wants to reinstitute it. They, they, they think they can ride that beast to victory, the beast of racism. Ibram X. Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, Ellen Barkin. And by the way, I don't have a single S to give about what any actress thinks no, about anything. Of course not. On you know the other what hand, means. It means you're a loser. <laughs> yeah, that's right, sir. Um, but it is, she does, you know, represent an attitude. They have decided we are going to reinstitute racial stereotyping and racial discrimination in the name of enlightenment and we'll make it go fine. It'll, we'll get to justice, folks. If you believe that, you are so incredibly lacking in wisdom. I pity you. Gonna fix racism with racism. Um, got a heck of a Tiger King update for you. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Death. A death in the family, in the Tiger King family. Oh. That's on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Husband whacked him. Yep. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Sure. Fed him to tigers, they snacking. What's happening? Carol Baskin. That's What's happening? <laughs> more or less the whole thing in a nutshell. And part of this Tiger King update is how dead Tiger King is, including one of the stars of Tiger King. But before I get to that, uh, Joe Exotic, the star of Tiger King, says the cancer uh, has spread to his pelvis and stomach. Oh. I saw that headline, and I thought, what cancer? Uh, he says he's got prostate cancer. He's refusing treatment in prison, and he says it is spread to his pelvis and stomach. It sounds like the sort of thing that Joe Exotic does to get attention and all that sort of crap to me. So who knows it what's certainly going certainly could be. Yeah. By the way, since we're in the second year of this godforsaken Chinese bat flu, don't we deserve another uh, viral TV show? God, you'd think. Alligator King or, I don't know, Walrus King or something? 
He uh, at some point said they treat you worse than an animal in prison, which is kind of an interesting thing to say when you're a guy who treated animals very, very badly. Who kept animals in cages. Well, he treated the animals as well as he treated the humans. Nicolas Cage is no longer going to play Joe Exotic in an Amazon Tiger King show. Remember that? How that bubbled up early on? Do you know why? He he said, I think the moment is over. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. he, uh, He very clearly read that. He said, I read two excellent scripts, which I did think were excellent, but I think Amazon ultimately felt that it had become kind of past tense. Uh, no one at this point is interested. It was lightning in a bottle, but it's over. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and there's nothing left to be said. We saw it. But it was there with the real people. Nothing has been so great and interesting to talk about so intensely and then disappeared so fast as Tiger King. And then yeah. the moment you were done with it, you were done with it. Uh, who died? Um, I don't know if you know his name, Eric Cowie, but he was the super skinny old guy with ridiculously blonde hair. Remember him? Really skinny, and they'd interview him sitting around the animal encampment. Um, yeah, vaguely. He's one of the yeah. stars that got interviewed all the time. Anyway, he uh, he just died at age 53. He's only 53. He looked 83. But he'd, uh, he lived kind of a hard life of uh, drug and, drug abuse like a lot of the people that ended up there. Well, yeah, we they should have called the show Meth King. Everybody's tweaking. Or uh, Stumpapalooza. <laughs> Please. Uh, has uh, Joe Exotic's toothless ex-husband found himself a shirt yet? <laughs> Can we get an update on that? <laughs> Who turned out not to be gay at all? No. Yeah. Well, he was a little gay. Wow. Whole thing. Yes. I know. I know. Kids don't do math. And who ends up no on good for and you. who ends up on Dancing with the Stars? Shining like a new nickel. Carol Baskin. Killed her husband, whacked him. Uh-huh. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Woo! <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty. Breaking news, the breaking news donkey for something of more importance. But I feel like poor Brandon, the the donkey, doesn't get out of his corral to do it. Yeah, when the donkey brays, news is breaking. Thank you, Brandon. Here's a carrot. The 12-ton, six-story monument to Robert E. Lee is down. At the state capitol in uh, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, which was the capital of the Confederacy. Statue went up in 1890. It didn't get pulled down by protesters. It was uh, a decision and a plan, and it came down with Governor Northrop. In, in, was he in blackface? No, he wasn't in blackface. No. <laughs> while he was there. But he, he live-streamed it from the governor's mansion. He was so proud of the Robert E. Lee statue coming down. He was actually there. He was on scene. As was the mayor of Richmond. It's a week after the Supreme Court of Virginia cleared the way for the removal of uh, one of the biggest Confederate statues in the entire country. I didn't realize it was that big. Six-story monument. Um, It is weird. Now, it went up in 1890. It's not one of those that got put up in the 50s to try to keep 
black kids out of school or whatever. Although it did go up during the Jim Crow era. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and it's just, speaking of what country has ever done this, what country has ever had a civil war and you have a giant monument to the military leader of the losing side in their former capital? That just is a weird thing to do. It's got to be like the only one in history. It'd be like if you know the Korean Peninsula finally gets united at some point under South Korea. And they have a giant statue of King Jong-un in, in the capital. It's somewhat like that. I would argue that Robert E. Lee was a more honorable fellow oh, no than doubt. King Jong-un, no, no, but no, the no point doubt remains. No doubt yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, so, no, I don't have a problem with it coming down. I have a great problem with statues coming down in the middle of the night by mobs and ropes. And then everybody just saying, well, I guess that's what the mob wanted. That's crazy. But uh, this one went through the process, and it's their state, and they get to have whatever statues they want in their state. Yeah, and I've got to admit, I'm uncomfortable with statues celebrating Confederate figures that were erected during Jim Crow and or the civil rights uh, era of the 20th century, because they they were there to send a message, and that message I don't think is very healthy. There you go. Where are they going to put it, in a museum or someplace? No, I think they're going to dismantle it. Oh, really? They haven't made that decision yet. I suspect they're going to just store it away for a long time till nobody's thinking about it. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, old Governor Blackface, I'm sure, was very happy to get to fly some look-how-progressive-I-am credentials there as he barely survived and hung on to his governorship. Right. Right. And that was mostly that was mostly because his, his second in command was like a, a groper, right, or something like that. Something, I can't yeah. remember the particulars. Yeah, nice state, Virginia, getting bluer and bluer by the day, and crazier by the day too. Number of angry West Virginians uh, expressing their distaste with with you saying uh, Joe Manchin was from Virginia just because they they want to be absolutely considered something different than increasingly blue Virginia. Gotcha. Although you get out into rural Virginia, it ain't very blue. It's uh, it's uh, it's the old South. I'll anyway. take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the greatest airlift in the history of mankind, allegedly out of Afghanistan, uh, got a tiny fraction of the people who helped us, left behind hundreds of Americans. No, no, no. Senator Schumer said yesterday that we got every American out that wanted to get out. Yeah, well, he's a liar. He's a congenital liar. If he says the truth, it's an accident. Anyway, the president was uh, was touring some of the flood-ravaged corners of the Northeast yesterday, and there was an amusing-slash-disturbing exchange we want to feature for you, and then we'll get back to the nature of the airlift. But um, uh, let's see. Clip 11 first, Michael. So those were angry protesters yelling, leave no American behind. You left Americans behind. That guy detailing a friend or loved one who died in Afghanistan. Uh, he died for what? For what? So it was absolutely clear what they were yelling and what they were mad about. Now here's Joe Biden interpreting it in clip number 10. None of them were shouting or complaining. Every one of them were thanking me as if it was something special. I mean it sincerely. That I was here. 
And then there was another clip. What? And I, I thought that what? was that was not the clip I thought it was. There was another clip where he said, those people were protesting my climate change policies. They just don't understand. And they're not from around here. Number one, no, they weren't. Number two, how would you know that? <laughs> Confused old fart. Uh, and then this, uh, this is uh, Joe Biden's speech yesterday, clip 12. Group I have standing with me, led by Chuck Schumer, and your Congresswoman, is this your district? Grace Ming. Oh, it's Grace's oh, district. No, and, and have zero emissions, net emissions by 2050. By 2020, make sure all our electricity is zero emissions. This summer alone, communities with over 100 million Americans, 100 American Americans call home, what? have been struck by extreme weather. Each dollar we invest, every dollar we raise, a city block by two feet, floodproof power stations, sanitations. Wow. Now, is that edited? That was quite something. Did we edit that to make him sound worse? Or Well, it was it was not the entire speech. It well, was yeah, the I... chunks that he screwed up. Wow. He sounds like he's aged... 10 years in the last month. Yeah. Yeah. Just barely hanging on. How long can he last? We'll see. Of more substance, though, is the question of those hundred and how, what's the number that they're, they're throwing around? The 120,000 people or that they got out? Number of Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Who are they? Well, and, and remarkably, the Washington Post doing some team reporting on the question, who is coming to the U.S.? And they start with the tale of Mustafa. It was 2.30 a.m. when Mustafa, finally safe in the cargo bay of an American military plane after surviving the chaos and violence of the Kabul airport, he glanced around at the other weary Afghans and was struck by what he saw. Many had minimal identification and did not appear to have worked closely with the U.S. as he had, serving as a translator and analyst. They were just people, he said, who took advantage of a disorderly evacuation to flee their turbulent country. Quote, nobody knows who is the good guy and who is the bad guy getting into the plane. It's a risky thing that happened, I believe. So... Tens of thousands of Afghans arriving at the end of America's longest war, of course, that inevitable phrase, uh, has left a question looming over the coming weeks, one that's already dividing host communities from Missoula, Montana, to Jacksonville, Florida. Who is coming to the U.S.? And I guess in the foreign Air Force bases, they're trying to vet them and figure out who's who and the rest of it. But they've already identified a couple of uh, terrorist types and Taliban guys and a rapist and, and God knows who else. At least they're catching a few people. But nobody knows. It was so willy-nilly. Those were just Afghans who didn't want to live under the Taliban, which I can sympathize uh, with. But now those 50, 60, 80,000 uh, Afghans are just going to come into America? And there's also the um, the uncomfortable conversation. Some people on the right are really against uh, these uh, refugees coming here, or refugees in general coming to the United States. And we have always been the most welcoming country on Earth, total. It's just the numbers are, it's just a fact. But uh, Tucker Carlson was making the point the other night. So there was some, I don't remember who it was, some somebody running for something somewhere as a Republican saying they don't want refugees here. And then he played a clip of Fareed Zakaria on CNN saying it's just awful 
that there are Americans that don't want to welcome these these Afghan refugees, et cetera, et cetera. And Tucker made the point that all of these elites, including Fareed Zakari himself, live in neighborhoods where there ain't going to be any Afghan refugees. So right. everybody that's pro-refugee um, uh, and making the decisions about it, there are plenty of people, there are plenty of you that are pro-refugee, and that's fine. I get that. I get that argument. But um, the people that are making the decisions and think it's just awful if anybody's against it, their neighborhoods aren't going to be affected by this. Their local restaurants aren't going to change. Their schools aren't going to change. Nothing's going to change for their neighborhood. All right? So you always got to keep that in mind about the elites that make these decisions. The Eastern media elite in particular are like they're academics. The, the discussions are entirely academic discussions that are theoretical discussions because those birds don't come home to roost in those neighborhoods, as you point out. Which is one of the reasons we've really resisted ever becoming chummy with you know the 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 uh, the high and mighty. It just it, it perverts the way you look at the world. We'd rather you know do our thing the way we do it. If you're a fan of government bureaucracies bull crap, you'll enjoy the next sentence or two. <clears throat> Administration officials have yet to provide estimates of how many among the fifty thousand or more evacuees expected to arrive in the U.S. will fall into this neutral category, meaning. Neither Taliban nor helped us. They're just Afghans. Uh, pressed for more clarity, the senior administration official said, The situation is fluid, uh, data is elusive, and lines are blurry, likening various categories of evacuees to a, a set of concentric circles regarding the strength of their ties to the U.S. mission in Afghanistan. Oh, boy. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, who knows his way around bullcrap, friends, said in an interview he could not specify how many of the evacuees worked with the U.S. I can't really quantify it or measure it against expectations. So the great greatest airlift in human history is a whole bunch of randos from Afghanistan. Okay, fine, maybe you think that's okay, but we didn't have that debate in America. We didn't have that discussion if we wanted to just pick up 100,000 random people from Afghanistan and bring them to the United States. People were in favor of getting out of the, the the people that had helped America. So that discussion was never had, and the government just went ahead and did it. And then the people that were supposed to get out didn't get out, and they're still trying to claim credit for the great airlift. Okay, that's fantastic that you moved all these people. You just didn't move the people you said you were going to move. Okay? Right. Right. Yeah, so it's, uh, on the one side, a highly questionable policy, and on the other, just incredible dishonesty. And I'm no xenophobe, and I like that America welcomes refugees, and I, I think, uh, you know, immigrants do bring a hell of a lot to the country, including hard work and, and, and delightful cuisines. Um, on the other hand, Afghanistan is a wildly, brutally, practically incomprehensibly different culture. Than ours, and from ours. Taliban announced their government yesterday, of course, with no women in it at any point, and uh, just made the announcement that women will be barred from playing all sports in Afghanistan. So, yeah, for anybody nice. who was buying the ridiculousness that they were somehow different than they were before. Um, one thing I just want to mention here, so we don't have to go back to Joe Biden next segment. He, he made a lot of statements yesterday about uh, global warming and the hurricanes and all that sort of stuff and how everybody needs to be on board with climate change and doing something about it because the hurricanes are getting worse and worse and worse and uh, you heard the numbers there about one out of three americans were affected by climate change in just the last week blah 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 wall street journal with a big article from a guy named bjorn lomberg who just laid out the data saying contrary to common knowledge u.s landfalling hurricanes are not becoming more frequent in fact since 1900 the frequency has declined slightly and he's got all the numbers and the graphs explaining how it's just it's just not a fact that hurricanes are getting worse and that there's more of them. It's just not true. 
Right. Right. But, you know, it's kind of exciting to walk through a bunch of uh, uh, rubble and claim that that's true. Sure. Repeat the lie often enough. Dot, dot, dot. We all know how that goes. So, um, yesterday we talked about being in a funk and how you get out of a funk. We got a ton of text and emails with people who have been in funks from, you know, losing a job or a divorce or an illness or, a, you know, something happened with their kid or something like that and how they got out of that funk. I thought it was pretty interesting stuff and something you can apply to your life. We'll talk a little bit about that next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jeff Bezos has reportedly invested in a company that intends to reverse the human aging process. If the anti-aging project fails of Jeff Bezos, they say we'll go back to his fallback plan, which is paying everyone on Earth a million dollars to pretend he's 25. (laughs) So mostly what's interesting, well, two things. The world's richest man is putting a lot of money into anti-aging stuff, so... That's pretty cool. Private funding of that to see what he can come up with. Um, two, I didn't know Jimmy Kimmel still existed. Where has he been for? Remember, didn't he quit for a while or take a sabbatical or he got in trouble? What was it, Michael? You probably remember. You know, I can't remember. He, he didn't he have just a Me Too. Back. He had a Me Too thing or a race thing or something. Yeah, and he stepped down and he's been gone for like the whole pandemic. Oh, wasn't it uh, like a, a blackface skit yeah, on the Man yeah, Show? That's yeah. right. He used to play Carl Malone, the basketball player, and put on black makeup, and he felt so bad about that that he pulled himself off of his show for like a year and a half. A preemptive self-canceling. And now he's back. Weird. Um, was talking yesterday about being in a funk, uh, various life things I got going on in my life, and we got a whole bunch of texts and emails from people who've been in similar situations. Like this person, for instance. Hey, Jack, been listening for about 20 years now. I had a marriage with three kids and a divorce. I was in such a funk that I could hardly get off my couch for a long time. I developed a bad habit of verbalizing F as soon as I realized I was awake every morning. That's not good. Oh, yeah. When you dread another day. I've been there. Um, but uh, the, the so many texts and emails. Uh, My plan is to start wearing a suit every day, which I started today. But um, most people, the most common response was exercise, which I think is really interesting. The number of people that had success with just starting to exercise regularly. And I think about this all the time. My dad has been saying this for decades. I think it's absolutely true. So much of the... Uh, depression, anxiety, all the things that pill- people are on pills for today that weren't on years ago is just so much less exercise. It's that simple. We just, we're not oh, yeah. designed. It's like if you put your dog in a crate. How's your dog act if you leave it in a crate all day long? It's, 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 it's that simple. It's not complicated. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's absolutely true. I'm trying to uh, break a sweat and breathe hard every single day. That's me getting out of a chair. Putting on your shoes. Exactly. No, but I am. I am, and I feel a lot better for it. My blood pressure's down. I just, good. But we're talking about being in a funk, especially whether it's depression or or event-related depression. Um, Different different topic. You know, in the emails, first of all, the amount of concern was uh, was really nice, really touching. Um, 
Secondly, uh, a common thread, and I found this to be true as I've struggled through various funks in my own crazy head. Um, depression is so inward looking. Look outward, you know, serve others. Um, go just see others, be among others uh, was one of the common threads of the email. Exercise is a good idea. Everybody should exercise more and not for the uh, the reasons that mostly get people to gyms. To look better. Just to, for your mind, man. For your mind. Well, yeah, and you don't need a gym either. No, a gym of membership. Not. Some people, that helps, and, and if it does, great. But, yeah, just go out for a good hard walk for half an hour. Remember that we had that guy last uh, last week that texted, he belongs to a gym that charges you an extra $25 every time you don't go. <laughs> so, you're like, you're scheduled to go four times a week, and if you skip one, they charge you an extra 25 bucks. When this guy proposed it, I'm sure the uh, the manager's like, wait, what? Really? <laughs> Is that like a thing? <laughs> <laughs> what an interesting idea. Um, yeah. In the final minute here, we knew this was coming. It's finally here. Amazon has opened a couple of cashierless Whole Foods stores. Amazon's opening Whole Foods stores. Amazon owns Whole Foods. That's right. Yes. Bezos bought Whole Foods. That's right. And uh, the two stores are in D- one in D.C., one in Sherman Oaks, California. No cashiers. So you, you take stuff off the shelves. There are cameras and sensors that pick up what you bought and read the code on there, and you get charged when you walk out of the door to your account. So that's And guns going. mounted at the uh, exit. Don't worry about that, though. As long as you pay, there will be no malfunctions. If this works, that'd be pretty damn handy to just bypass the whole line and the whole, just the, 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 any of that. You just put everything in your cart and go out the door. I love that. We'll yeah, see if it works. Love it. Armstrong and Getty.